you're listening to This Osteopathic Life. This is Dr. Amelia Beakey. I'm honored to share with you conversations for the health of all things. In these special episodes, I am joined by guests on the show to explore how the osteopathic concept presents in their lives and learn about their personal and professional stories. Ranging from osteopathic physicians to those familiar with osteopathic treatment to those associated with osteopathic medicine in a variety of settings, these conversations provide new perspective on lighting the way for the path to best health. Please note that while I am a physician and may interview other physicians, this podcast is intended to share general information and encourage discussion about medicine, health, and related subjects. The content provided in this podcast and in any linked materials is not intended and should not be construed as medical advice. Welcome back to This Osteopathic Life and an episode of Conversations for the Health of All Things. Today, I am joined by Dr. Alicia Shelley. She's a board-certified internal medicine and obesity medicine physician. She is the lead physician for Wellstar Medical Center and Centers for Best Health in Douglasville. She's also the medical director of Hope Missions 360, which leads medical missions in the Caribbean. Dr. Shelley is an accomplished marathoner and is currently training to complete an Ironman triathlon in 2022. Thanks for being here. There's so much we can talk about. (laughs) Yes, thank you so much for having me. And first with your story into the practice of medicine. Ah, so I have to say, I've always wanted to do medicine. You know, even as a young child, my mom said, I, you know, when she was sick, I would always try to bring her soup or try to like doctor on her. You know, they had the little doctor kit where I'm like, let me listen to your heart. <laughs> um, but it really didn't come to fruition to maybe around high school when I started to volunteer and really kind of hone down where do I see myself? Like I was all over the place. I wanted to be an actress. I wanted to be a talk show host. Like I wanted to be everything. <laughs> but um, medicine was kind of the one thing that stuck because it allowed me to be able to help others, um, but then also have the um, intellectual, like the stimulating um, intellectual, uh, intelligent, not intelligent, mm-hmm. but just the stimulating mm-hmm. um, knowledge that you get from being in medicine where you're always learning, you're always kind of improving. It's the one reason why I liked it and and ended up going into it. I love it. And so I'm curious, you had all those other visions and a lot of them sound like they are very on stage and being present. How have you brought those with you as you have moved into the practice of medicine? Ah, so a lot of time, not saying that being, so I'm a primary care um, majority of the days. And then one day a week I do obesity medicine. Although in primary care, we always talk about weight, you know, mm-hmm. people come in and they want to talk about weight. But I do find that with the stage, like being on stage, I actually did do drama in high school and in college, mm-hmm. um, that it allows me to be more present. Some days, I'm not saying you fake it till you make it, but there's some days when you're just like in a different zone and you have to like, you know, this person's coming in to see you. They've waited so long. They take a time off work to come and see you. You don't want to give them half of where you are, even though let's say it's a dr- you're just drained that day. So it does help me to be able to kind of still engage and still give people energy, even when some days I'm just not feeling it. <laughs> just tired. Yeah. But, but so I use that. And then also I use that with talking and, and speaking. Um, a lot of times with, you know, you may have a moment where you can go on a five minute soliloquy or monologue about Mm -hmm. why health is important. And so it it definitely helps me to be able to communicate well with the, with the patient and hopefully be able to, you know, get my point across on why they should do X, Y, and Z for their health. Yeah. I love that. And I was thinking that too, as you spoke, when you are in that role as a physician, you're on, right. You're giving those speeches. 
so many times each and every day. It's really interesting. I read recently Will Smith's autobiography, Will, and he talks about how everything's a character, right? Our real life is a character. It's one that we have molded and shaped based on feedback. And I love that. You can tap into, right, the character of Doctor, which is still real, but you have that access to really bring that on, even when you're thinking, oh, I'd rather be doing something else right now. (laughs) Yes, yes. It's kind of funny. My old boss, Dr. Odie, once told me a story how when he was in, um, when he was going, he was uh, shadowing a doctor Mm -hmm. in Nigeria. And the doctor said, it's all in the delivery. Because Mm -hmm. if I, like she had, the one patient came in, the child had like a a coin in their ear. And if he was like, oh, it's just a coin in their ear. I'll take it out. Five dollars, you know, and you, mm-hmm. you, the person may question how much they paid for the service. But if you're like, oh, my goodness, you know, <laughs> this, yeah. this, this coin that's in the ear, what's going on? Oh, I will mm-hmm. do my best. I can't make any promises. The person would be so much more grateful. Not saying yeah. we should do that in our in our in our yeah. practice, but it comes in handy. It comes mm-hmm. in handy. The character um, that you play and how people respond, you know. Yeah. <laughs> well, I think you bring up a really good point there as well that. So many times in medicine, things can seem so basic and so simple to us because we're seeing them all the time. We're saying them all the time. But for a patient, it might be the first time they ever heard anything about that. You know, I had a patient I talked to about hiccups once and I was talking about anatomy, you know, the nerve paths and all this. And it was to me pretty basic, you know, and they thought, wow, I never even thought about everything that's involved in that. So how do you see that doctors might sometimes discount the knowledge that they have? You know, like you said, you chose this profession for that intellectual stimulation, that things that might seem you know, normal or basic to us. And like any profession, right? When you see it every day, it becomes so rudimentary. And maybe we are undervaluing what it is that we're offering. What do you think about that? No, I agree. Because there's a lot of things that we think that are just, everyone should know. Like, Mm -hmm. for example, blood pressure. Like, what Mm -hmm. is a normal blood pressure? Mm -hmm. And so sometimes I have patients that come in and they're like, oh my, you know, their blood pressure is like 150 over 90. And I'm like, Mm -hmm. you know, is this what is your blood pressure at home? I may ask. They're like, oh, it's normal. And I used to be like, okay, the doc- the patient said it's normal. But then I realized <laughs> they're normal. It's not my normal. <laughs> so that's when I'm like, so what is normal for you? And they're like, oh, 150s. And I'm like, ah, oh, okay. Let me, <laughs> let me break today, this yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know, sometimes it's actually, um, and, and that's where we come in because we're able to educate you know, what is normal? Because not everybody knows. Normal, like actually now they change it. Normal actually is less than 120 over 80. But, yeah. you know, people are just thinking, oh, 150s, that's what I normally am. So that must be normal for me. And mm-hmm. so we discount it. And then, and sometimes people don't know. Um, sometimes even another example, blood pressure. Mm-hmm. I had this lady who was on four different medications. I was doing, I was pulling my hair out to figure out how I can get her blood pressure down. Mm-hmm. several visits later I asked her you know are you t- eating like you know more salt are you drinking anything she's like oh yes I drink a case of Mountain Dew mm-hmm. every day mm-hmm. yeah <laughs> fighting an uphill battle there with, yeah exactly mm-hmm. had I led with you know hey do you know that there's salt in blood you know in in this soda and the caffeine that's causing your blood pressure to be high and so maybe we should cut back on that Mm-hmm. When we did that, her blood pressure was so much more easier to control. Mm-hmm. But I just always discounted that everyone knows that there's salt and, mm-hmm. you know, and sodas, but people think there's just, you know, it's just only sugar. So mm-hmm. you're right. I think as doctors, we sometimes discount 
what people really need. And sometimes they just need to hear it from us. Mm-hmm. And the person who they trust to deliver information because there's so much disinformation out there and you Google and they will tell you a hundred things and you're like, mm-hmm. oh my God, I have hiccups, but this means that I'm dying. And you're mm-hmm. like, no, then you just have hiccups. Yes, <laughs> so, yes. absolutely. Mm-hmm. And what a shift in medicine too, because historically knowledge wasn't publicly available, right? The houses of medicine kept mm-hmm. it all secret. And now there's so much more, you know, the volume, I think doubles every day. It seems like of what we can know in medicine and so being able to be a steward of that, you know, break it down and find out, like you said, what patients know and don't know. And how do you see that? So you're the director of these spaces of health. How do you see that role of directorship and helping to discern and diffuse some of that information for patients? Oh, yes. So definitely in my medical director as Hope Missions, during COVID, we weren't able to go to the Caribbean and actually do our our actually missionary work. And so what we had decided to do was to do Zoom, Zoom meetings. So every month they had a Zoom meeting with different topics. And so I had the opportunity to at least be on the panel for several of them to kind of talk and disseminate information specifically about COVID, also about weight and diabetes, because these are things people, you know, think they know, but maybe not know. Mm-hmm. And you never know what knowledge you can bring and maybe help change somebody's course in their medical condition. Mm-hmm. Um, so definitely that's one way how we disseminate information by just mm-hmm. delivering. Um, as the lead physician in my practice, definitely my goal is more of managing the, you know, physicians being that liaison to um, our, our management team, our, our, mm-hmm. our hospital system for the for the um, practice, but I definitely also have a role in trying to figure out, hey, what's the best way we could communicate with patients Mm -hmm. and trying to do the best we can to actually have better patient care for our patients. And so although I may not necessarily always be, you know, having, you know, getting, disseminating information, but definitely I do have a back in the back type role of how we can treat our patients better and actually provide what we like to call world-class healthcare. And <laughs> <Love it. laughs> yeah. yeah. And I want to pull on that word worlds because you have this unique perspective of traveling and providing medicine in different parts of the world and where you live currently. And I'm curious, what do you see as the common threads there? So oftentimes we think it's going to be so different. I'm sure there are differences, but I'd be really curious, what are the common threads, maybe the challenges, but also how health shows up in those spaces that you've seen? Yeah. You know, a lot of times it's access to care. So um, the last trip that I went on was the trip to Belize. And although they do have like, um, you know, centralized healthcare where people can go to the doctor, but there's still like a private payer where, and then people's percep- perspective perception is that if they get better care when they pay more money for it, you know, when they put more money. And so sometimes if you're somebody who does not have a lot of resources, it's hard to get that that standard of care. And mm-hmm. so even though we're in America and, we, and you know, we have insurance, we have the exchange, the marketplace insurance, um, still people may not be able to afford certain things and they may have to put off. There are many people that may that put off their mammogram or put off their colonoscopy because they don't want to have to pay their mm-hmm. portion of the copay. And it may not be the thousands of dollars that it actually is worth, it may be a hundred dollars, but to that person, they don't have that resource. So they mm-hmm. have to delegate or they have to prioritize what's most important. And um, I've had people, you know, they've had like positive uh, 
fit tests uh, or stool, mm-hmm. stool, tests, stool cards. And they would put off, put off the colonoscopy because of the perception that I can't afford this. Mm-hmm. So sometimes access is still a problem, even in the United States today. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And we can make that assumption where we have a lot of elite medicine in this country, but those bridges between and the access points are so key. In those spaces, what would you say if you're thinking about the best ways you see health show up or the most profound, what does that look like? You know, what are the key kind of shining lights of health in your current and local community and to the ones where you've traveled? So I would definitely, you know, I, I actually do like the fact that at least in Belize, everyone can get health care, even if they have to wait a little bit longer for the centralized mm-hmm. health care. Um, and the one thing I do like in America is that you do have an opportunity of choice. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, You can choose, you know, whether you want to get insurance or not. And if you don't get insurance, you just pay out of pocket and you save Mm -hmm. up and you pay for it. So we do have that choice. We do have access. We just have, you know, we just may have to pay a little bit extra for it. Mm -hmm. Um, So the other thing I like about our United States healthcare is that you can you can go to different doctors. You don't have to stick with one. If you feel like one doctor is not treating you well or if you feel like, um, it's just not working out between you and him. You can go to a different doctor. You have mm-hmm. choice. Mm-hmm. So I think that's maybe one um, shining light, shall we say, yeah. in abroad yeah. that you do have that opportunity to choose, even if it may cost you a little bit more. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. I love that. And I'm curious, too. So you are in this role and you're managing positions and supporting positions, serving mm-hmm. as a liaison. And we know it has been a tough nearly two years now. And what do you see as some of the biggest challenges and perhaps what are some of the success stories you've had in leading your positions through this difficult time? Yeah. So I just actually started uh, the lead position in July. Mm -hmm. And so, of course, that's when we had the Delta surge. (laughs) (laughs) Welcome in. Let's go. (laughs) Welcome. Welcome. (laughs) And so, and a lot of times, you know, during that time, people were getting burnt out. You could tell them that they're getting burnt out. And so sometimes there was a disconnect a little bit with our leadership, you know, like they kind of felt as primary care, we weren't seeing enough, but we felt like we were doing so much. Mm-hmm. Um, and then on top of that, in our practice, um, we had lost two physicians. So now mm-hmm. we have all these patients from two physicians that are not there and we're going through a Delta surge at the same time. So one success is that we kind of made it through the Delta surge <laughs> and, you know, and we, and we were able to recruit other physicians, um, nurse practitioners to come and help mm-hmm. us so that we can be able to um, provide care to the patients whose doctors have left. Mm-hmm. Um, also, when the leadership asked us to do a little bit more and actually maybe have Saturday clinic, um, at least once, you know, in August and once in September, you know, I actually took the brunt and for one of those weekends, I was like, hey, I'll do the Saturday, you know, like mm-hmm. you guys are working hard, you're doing everything you need to do. Mm -hmm. I'll do that. And our nurse practitioner took the other Saturday. So, Mm -hmm. you know, at least being able to be a team player and show them that, you know, as a liaison that we care, you're not Mm -hmm. just another number. You're not just another doctor doing, um, you know, just, just you're, you're valued is what I want to say that we value. That makes such a difference. Mm -hmm. Yeah. To know that, right. To know you're seen and for someone to actually walk in your shoes, right. And see what the work is like and to advocate for you. That's massive. Yeah. Thank you for doing that for your physicians there. (laughs) So tell us more about this practice. So internal medicine, as many may know, right? The general practice of medicine and kind of that very potent cell that can go into any specialty (laughs) and also can serve in primary care. 
tell us more too about obesity medicine and what does that look like? What does the training and the certification look like? And what does the practice look like? Yeah. So I started obesity medicine with um, my prior practice. And so when I joined that practice, they were doing like weight loss uh, clinic where people would come in, they would disseminate uh, fentramine and, and vitamin B12 shots, lipoprotein B shots. And we would see the patient um, periodically. And so from that, it kind of it kind of stimulated this passion about obesity medicine. I too uh, have suffered from obesity. I've I struggled with it all my life, mm-hmm. and so it was another area where I'm like, let me learn more about what's going uh, what's going um, on, especially molecularly. And so with the um, American uh, American Board of Obesity Medicine. Um, they are, you're able to get board certified and it's not, you know, they do have fellowship in obesity medicine, but then they also have the other track where you can, um, uh, do tests and actually go through not just the test, but you actually go through a lot of the training, getting mm-hmm. so many CMEs to show that you've mastered the material. And so mm-hmm. in February, I was I forget the exact year now. Oh, two years ago. So <laughs> I was like, what, what year is it? Time is like kind of melding together, I know, right? <laughs> it's going fast. It's going yeah. fast. Um, I was able to sit for the boards and pass. And so became um, a delegate, um, a, a dip- excuse me, a diplomat of the American uh, Board of Obesity Medicine. And so with that, I mean, actually it was really good because, you know, you have to do the CMEs prior to taking the uh, test. And so a lot of the, the board work was just eye-opening, eye-opening. <laughs> going to the different board review classes, you're like, wow, I can't believe this is going on um, under the molecularly, you know, just the, yeah. you learn about how um, appetite, how your body, um, the molecular physiology of appetite and the different hormones that go along. So it's, it's, there's more to it than just mm-hmm. exercise and go eat less, you know? Yeah. And I try to tell my patients that like, you know, there's other stuff going on that's playing a role to why you're gaining weight or why you're, you know, why you've been unable to lose weight. And so mm-hmm. here's what we're going to do to kind of help with combating that and help with um, getting you to your goal weight. Yeah. And what might you share some of those surprising pearls of wisdom that we don't often think about. Like you said, we often think just movement and nutrition, which are great and so much to be mined there for fabulous information. But what are those areas that surprised you perhaps when you were learning about it that are key players in that weight gain and weight loss experience? Yeah. So definitely one thing that surprised me is the fact that the different medications um, that can cause weight gain. Not, I mean, we all know steroids kind of make you eat a little bit more, but there's so much more out there. Like there's certain even diabetic medications like your sulfurureas, your pyoglitazones, um, that can insulin that can cause you to gain weight. And so, so many times we're like, I have patients, we're going up on the insulin and they come back, I've gained weight. With this insulin, you know, you're like, okay, here's how we can, you know, balance this out so that you can be able to lose weight. So definitely that was eye-opening to learn a little bit more about that. Um, Also, you know, the fact that we don't think about this, but depression, our mood, anxiety, how this all plays a role. Chronic stress causes us to gain weight. Um, So, and the fact that getting a good night's rest actually affects um, uh, us gaining weight. And actually what studies have shown is that if you're getting less than five hours, your ghrelin or your hunger hormone is increasing. 
and your leptin hormone, which is your satiety hormone, is decreasing. And so these are things you don't really think about. You don't really think about, oh, yeah, I should get a good eight, seven, eight hours of sleep. But mm-hmm. it actually all plays a role. Um, and so there are so many other different pearls. Um, processed food. <laughs> mm-hmm. Processed food, you can gradually gain weight. And then with less processed food, you can gradually decrease weight. So sometimes it's not just um, the amount of food that you're eating. It's the quality, the mm-hmm. quality of food that makes a difference. Yeah. So these are just a couple of tidbits that kind of I was like, wow, oh, didn't think that didn't occur mm-hmm. to, <laughs> to me at all. Yeah. So a lot of good and a lot of, a lot of great pearls there. Yeah. And absolutely. And I think about this with patients and sometimes you can have a list, look at all the things we can do and it can seem overwhelming. But it's also an opportunity. You know, it doesn't mean we have to do them all at once. But look at this list that we can start to walk through and begin to make those changes and find maybe the one that really makes the most difference for you, right? It does seem like it is, there are common pieces, but there are also the unique aspects for each patient. Exactly, exactly. So, and that's what I kind of try to do. I try to individualize each visit, especially for obesity medicine, so that we do kind of have a plan on where you're going um, and how we can help you get there. But I think the one problem I find sometimes that it's a little bit hard to overcome is just the mindset. Because a lot of times the patients, when they come to me, they've tried several different diets and they're like, nothing's worked, you know? Mm -hmm. And sometimes it's hard to like combat that, that nothing's going to work for me um, um, mindset. But once Mm -hmm. we get there, oh man, you see them, they're going, they're going. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, that's a great gateway. And so I'm curious, tell us how you have, Move through, you mentioned your own journey with obesity and challenges with that your whole life and see now where you're shifting toward marathon and Ironman triathlon and what perhaps your weight loss journey and maybe mindset shift journey has been to bring you there. Oh yeah. So definitely I've, I've, um, all my life I've struggled with obesity and I've gone up and down with my weight. Like I don't, when I remember as a teenager, I don't remember exactly what I weighed, but I remember as I started exercising more, oh, I could get into smaller clothes. Mm-hmm. You know, I think it was the biggest thing. I could get out of the plus size and go to the missus mm-hmm. section. Like it was a huge accomplishment, yeah. you know? And, and then when I look over through medical school, I was able to lose weight, but then gained it back toward the third and fourth year when we were more mm-hmm. stressed. And then boy, residency, when mm-hmm. you are not really eating, you're just kind of going, you're waking up. You're not sleeping, right? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you're not sleeping, exactly. And so coming out, seeing where I was as an attending, I was like, oh my gosh, this is the heaviest I've ever been. And so I had tried for about a year to lose weight on my own as an attending. Like I was exercising, I was working with the trainer, I was mm-hmm. watching what I was eating, but I still wasn't as successful. And so I ended up, in 2015, undergoing bariatric sleeveectomy, sleeve mm-hmm. gastrectomy, excuse me. Mm-hmm. And so um, that allowed me, gave me a new lease on life. I was able mm-hmm. to lose approximately 80 pounds. Yeah. Um, however, that is not, that didn't stay for me. Like my mm-hmm. body started to balance out, <laughs> like mm-hmm. my ghrelin hormone went up and I started to kind of gradually gain the weight back, especially when I kind of slowed down on my exercise. Mm-hmm. And so at least twice I had gained weight and I'm like, oh my gosh, what's going on? And so I had started um, an appetite suppressant, uh, initially Succinda, um, and that allowed me to kind of, tr- you know, kind of curb that ghrelin hormone or cur- curb that hunger hormone so that I was able to actually lose weight again. 
And then um, the second time happened is when I stopped the six Linda <laughs> and stopped exercising, right? Mm-hmm. Very smart on my part, but you know, it sounded great at the we time. We live and we learn, right? Yeah. <laughs> we live and we learn. And so, and then that's when I'm like, okay, we know what we have to do. Um, when that happened the second time, I was actually starting my new position where I am now. And um, I felt so horrible. I was like, I can't believe this happened again. You know, I gained this weight back. And it wasn't like I gained it over like six months. I gained it over three months, 20 pounds. Yeah. And so I was just so devastated. But then I reminded myself, look, you've done this before. You have the tools. You just have to be consistent. Mm-hmm. And so... I started, I made what I like to call my SMART goals, which are, you know, small individualized goals that I can measure. Mm-hmm. And I was like, hey, I'm going to try to exercise more. I'm going to actually take the six Senda, which is, mm-hmm. you know, you know, a novel idea. Take the medication that actually <laughs> helps you. <laughs> <Right>? <laughs> it's the small things in life that make a difference. Mm-hmm. And But then also kind of keeping a food log, um, having an accountability partner to be like, hey, did you give me your food log? Um, to kind of help with me making sure I did it. And so by being more mindful of what I was eating helped me to kind of gradually lose the weight. And so where I am now, I've shifted from Sexenda to Wagovi, which is a, a new medication to help with curbing your appetite. And it actually has helped. I've actually, and probably the lowest I've been uh, mm-hmm. since having the surgery. Now you may ask, so what about the marathons and the Ironman? Where does that come in? Yeah. This is just me being challenging myself. What I find (laughs) is that I, in order for me to exercise, I'm one of these people that has to have a goal, that Mm -hmm. has to have a mission. And sometimes just going to the gym on my own just gets a little boring for me. Mm -hmm. But when I um, train for for the marathon, I'm like, okay, I'm training for a reason, a purpose. Mm -hmm. So I'm going to show up because I don't want to cramp, number one. I want to finish the race and I know what I need to do. Mm-hmm. And so by me doing the iron, uh, the, actually the marathon, it helps me to become that person and to be more mm-hmm. consistent. Um, the Ironman is something I took on this 2020, just, I started in October and started taking wow. on now because, um, I never thought I could do it. Mm-hmm. I've never been athletic. Not at all. I've tried basketball. I've tried volleyball. I'm tall. I'm like, what can Five, eight, <laughs> but I have long arms. I have long arms. Uh-huh. So maybe not that tall when I say it out loud, but you know, cause the, the NBA players are like six Taller than so average. Taller than average. Yeah. Taller than average. Yes. Yes. But I was horrible. I was horrible. You know, it's bad when you're in middle school and somebody's parent is screaming from the uh, sidelines. You're horrible. Now that's probably bad. On we can part. talk about the parents. Yeah. <laughs> I know, yeah. <laughs> but I mean he he had a point. <laughs> Truth was detected. Oh no. <laughs> Truth detected that maybe this was not my sport. <laughs> so and volleyball was not the case. But with running, I'm competing against myself. I just have to put one foot in front of the other. And sometimes when I run, I just remind myself, you can do anything in one minute because I don't run the full time. I do intervals. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. I'll either run one minute, walk one minute. Or sometimes mm-hmm. where I am right now, I'll run 45 seconds and walk mm-hmm. 30 seconds. Yeah. And it helps me make it through. I can overcome the mental anguish um, mm-hmm. and the mindset where I'm like, when was this a good idea? <laughs> <laughs> I always ask myself that yeah. right before the start. Like, when mm-hmm. was this a good idea to do mm-hmm. this? But um, 
needless to say, I truly, you know, I picked up running since 2016. So I wasn't a natural runner. I didn't do this in high school, but it's been such a joy. And um, I don't even realize that when I'm running, I'm smiling because I realize people oh. actually are smiling at me when they run past. Yeah. I wonder why they're smiling at me. <laughs> oh, I'm smiling <laughs> while that. I'm running. So yeah. I don't even realize it. Don't even realize mm-hmm. it. So tell us what Ironman are you aiming for? Ah, I'm aiming for the Ironman Chattanooga in September 2022. So I've already Ooh. put money down. So that means yeah. I have to actually, <laughs> I have, to, actually have to do this. Yeah. And so I signed up for the half Ironman in May. So mm-hmm. I've been, I'm working. I'm like, yes, I love I'm it. just trying to finish. I'm not trying to break any records. Yeah. Oh, finishing is amazing. Starting is amazing. Mm-hmm. I'm all for that. <laughs> yes. Starting, starting is important. <laughs> well, we're going to check in with you and see how all that goes in May and in June. That's amazing. Love yes. It. Hopefully I'll have good report. I'll be like, yeah. yes, I did it. <laughs> <laughs> you get to have that. You are an Iron Man. I'd spoken to you. Love it. Yeah. Well, this is so fantastic. And there's so many great ways, but I'm curious if you could sum it up, how you would say that you see yourself for the health of all things. Mm. So when I see myself as the health of all things, um, I definitely see myself kind of as an example. I, I am not perfect by any stretch of the imagination. Mm-hmm. I have That's the best things. kind of example, right? <laughs> Keeping it real. Yes, yes, yes. But you know what? The days you have off, I give myself grace and I get back off. You know, um, there, I would be lying to you if I told you that there are days I do not want to wake up at four o'clock and go swimming. Mm-hmm. Um, in fact, I will be in the bed looking at my phone being like, get up, <laughs> get up. <laughs> uh-huh. <laughs> but I get there anyway, even if mm-hmm. I only have 45 minutes, I will get mm-hmm. there and I will, and when I'll, and I'll do it. So, um, I would say as the role model, I try to be consistent. Mm-hmm. Like I said, there are days when it doesn't work out, but at least if I show up and be consistent, I know that I will keep going forward. I love that. Consistent with your action and consistent with your compassion, right? For what you're doing. I love that. Well, thank you so much. And please do tell our listeners where they can find you geographically, or if you have an online presence so they can connect and maybe follow you on your Ironman journey too. Yes. 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 So if you're looking for a doctor, a local doctor, I'm in Atlanta, Georgia and in the suburb of Douglasville. But you can follow me on Dr. Shelly and B at Instagram and Facebook. And I have my podcast back on track, overcoming weight regain podcast that you can find wherever you look at podcasts. Excellent. I'll put all of those in the show notes as well. Well, thank you so much for taking the time to share your story for the great work that you're doing and for these amazing adventures. Can't wait to see how it continues to unfold. Yes. Yes. Thank you so much for having me. It's been a pleasure. I hope you enjoyed this episode of This Osteopathic Life, Conversations for the Health of All Things. Please take a moment to like, rate, and review the podcast. And if you would like to be featured as a guest or know someone who you'd like to nominate as a guest for an episode, please let me know at thisosteopathiclife at gmail.com. Visit the website at thisosteopathiclife.com or visit me on Instagram and Facebook at This Osteopathic Life. Thank you so much for listening.